Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with Cy Young Award and 20-game winner Randy Jones. All right, let's do this! And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program... We welcome a Cy Young Award winner. He won 20 games in 1975 and followed that up in 1976. His number 35 was retired by the San Diego Padres in 1997. And he's definitely one of the most beloved Padres of all time. Ladies and gentlemen, Randy Jones. Randy, thanks for coming on the program. I'd be happy to hear, Brad. You know, I always, always love to talk to the Boone family, man. There's a lot of baseball. Yeah, and I'm and I'm I'm happy to have you on today. Uh, all right, recently I had a buddy of mine, teammate of mine, Jamie Moyer, on the program, and I'm going to ask him the same. I'm going to ask you the same question I asked him: Would Randy Jones get drafted in 2021? No, I don't. I don't think so. And if I would, I, I would have gone in the fifth round. It'd been a lot deeper. It might have been the 40th round. You know, with, with the power arms and everything that scouts and baseball is looking for today, you know, Jamie Moyer, myself, you know, the, we knew how to pitch, Brad, but, you know, we, we weren't dominant. Uh, you know, we couldn't throw 95-plus. Um, you know, we just we just had a knack for getting people out, and, and we knew how to win ball games. And right now, sometimes I don't think that's a priority when they evaluate pitchers. I'll tell you, Randy, you know, I played a long time and, and you played a long time. Still, the best pitch in baseball is a located fastball. And I don't worry about velocity. Now, obviously, velocity, the more velocity you have, the more you have a tendency, you can get away with if it's not located well. But the best pitch in baseball, located fastball. I'll tell you, to this day, you know, because we all walk around and, and we all get different questions. You know, as a pitcher, you probably get a lot different questions than I do as a hitter. But I'm always asked, who are the toughest guys you ever faced? And I'll tell you, one of the guys that's always in that conversation uh, for me is a guy by the name of Tom Glavin. I mean, it wasn't a power guy, didn't blow you away. I'll tell you, I'd go to Atlanta, and and you also had to deal with Smoltz and Maddox, and all three of them were different in their own respects. But I hated facing Tom Glavin. He would just, he'd nibble, and he'd nibble, and he'd nibble, and that change-up, almost like a left-handed Trevor, it seemed like it never got there. And, and he would never give in. 3-0, he'd rather walk me with men on base than give in to me. And, and if you, he got you to go outside the strike zone, guys like you, that doesn't mean you throw a strike. You see a guy fishing, and you'll go a little farther away. Um, but it's amazing to me, the, the art of pitching, and, and I think it's being lost a little bit in today's game. You know, and, and I think it will make a comeback, Brett. You talk about that, and, and you know, of course, I was sitting here with a grin on my face, and, you know, because I, I pitched a contact. I mean, if I struck you out, uh, it was your fault. I wasn't even trying to. I wanted to throw you one pitch, two pitches, and, you know, get a ground ball, and let's make some things happen. And that's that's just what you know, I pitched to contact. And, if you, and I can go a million different directions on this, Brett, but it was all about all about getting a good hitter on his front foot before that pitch actually got to the strike zone. 
And then that's what I would try to do, just like Glavin did to you. You know, changing speeds, but still have the control, the command of the strike zone to, to throw it in a good spot. Um, and so many times I did that in frustrated hitters. But, you know, if you think about right now my San Diego Padres, and you realize the infield that I have right now with Hosler, Cronenworth, um, you know, I've got Tatis, I've got Machado. And you don't think if I was pitching it, I wouldn't have a field day, my friend. Exactly. And, and I don't, th- best, I don't think the average fan seen. thinks about that. It's, it's it, strikeouts are cool and they're, you know, that's, I don't know. They're, they're sexy, yeah. I guess. Yeah, but yeah. you're right. Pitching to contact. That's the reason guys like you uh, that had that approach, Greg Maddox did it. And, and I was a yeah. teammate of Greg's for a year and he said, Booney, I don't need to strike you out unless I need to strike you out. Now, time and a place situation runner on third less than two you might have a different approach but he said if i can get you out with a weak ground ball to short why wouldn't i do that i want to be able i want to be standing there in the ninth inning with my pitch Ah. count down so i can finish a game and i don't think that there's that mentality in today's game now today's game is all about swing and miss and i see it time and again it's a power arm and they they think about swinging and missing and they're not pitching to contact they and then a lot of them don't know how. Uh, they've been groomed to pitch one way. And what we're talking about, uh, you know, is maybe a little bit old school, but it still has a function, I think, in today's five-man rotation. And sooner or later, these managers, a couple of them are going to figure it out. You know, and you give me a guy, a couple of starters that throw 97, 98 miles an hour for two straight days. You know, would somebody please give me that third game? I would love to have that third game. I don't, I don't, I don't see that lineup trying to make, trying to make those adjustments against me. I think they'd have a real problem with that if they, they created that. That's a great point. All right. I want to hear about Randy Jones growing up in the OC, Brea Olinda, right down the street from El Dorado high school, which is my alma mater. Uh, uh, tell me about, tell me about your childhood. Well, you know, I just, um, I was seven years old. I picked up a baseball peewee league and, and uh, that first year, I, I think we played nine games that summer, and I pitched all nine of them. You know, we were Pee Wee League champs, and Brett, I was hooked. That's it. I mean, I uh, baseball was my passion. I loved all sports. We all did growing up like then at that time in that era. You know, but baseball had that that thing in the back of my mind. I never forgot it. I never. I always got excited about baseball season, and and. Um, you know, I, it was just the best thing in the world, uh, you know, for me. And I, I had that passion, and, and it just carried on. It carried on right even when I got to college, when I got to Chapman out of Brea. You know, we weren't real good in Brea, but, you know, got to be, got to compete, had some good years, got a scholarship to Chapman University and went over there and played baseball. And, and um, you know, from then on, you know, I, you can say that a lot of guys will sign out of high school and they mature in the minor leagues. And, and I I did the college way. I, I went to college and got my degree. And then next thing I know, I'm 22 years old when I signed. So I was pretty well-groomed and ready, ready to go when I got out of college. Who was your team as a kid growing up? Who would you follow? My, well, I followed the Dodgers, of course. We were right there in Orange County uh, right before the Angels really got created or started. And um, they had Transistor Radio and Vince Scully and 
um, and those Dodger teams, you know, Koufax and Drysdale and Padres, and, and you know, obviously I'm talking about pitchers, and you know, um, I'm, I mean, I'm, I was never forgetting what a great childhood, that, you know, um, and, you know, and then, and it's like every all of us, you know, we we chase the dream. We were, you know, you sit there and dream about, you know, getting one of those scenarios uh, one day in your life, and and you know, you and I are the lucky ones. We actually got there. Had an opportunity to do a lot of that stuff, and uh, you know I can't say enough about it. So you said Brailenda, you went to Chapman, you got your degree. So you yeah. signed after you signed after your senior year. You were a fifth round draft pick of the San Diego Padres. Interesting. That was only 1972 was the fourth year of the Padres franchise that had been in existence. I, I believe it it came into the league in '68, if I'm not mistaken. Now you're you're absolutely correct, and I um, a great story about '72. I got you know Pottery drafted me in the fifth round, and I'd never really talked to anybody in the Pottery organization. I'd really been talking to the Detroit Tigers, had been talking to me about taking me in the sixth round. Um, of course, the day of the draft, I wouldn't play golf with a bunch of my teammates. We were out playing golf, and um, you know, and I and I kept assuming I, I really didn't like the idea of Detroit. And, and I'm looking at Denny McLean and Mickey Lulich and some of the veteran guys they had, and I'm going, this could be a tough haul, man, me trying to make the big leagues. And so with the Padres all of a sudden picked me up in the fifth round out of nowhere, um, now I was really surprised. But also, being a 22-year-old, I also knew that as a young franchise just getting started, that my opportunities with the San Diego Padres are going to be you know, tenfold. What they really probably would have been with the Detroit Tigers, and I was—I personally was really excited about the opportunity. You didn't have much of a minor league stint, you know. When doing my homework, I looked. I said, "Okay, it's drafted in '72. Uh, you make your debut in '73, and uh, right. it, it's not that far from Chapman. <laughs> it's—it's it's a couple hours <laughs> down that down that five freeway." Yeah, and um, it, it was great. I just I got up to a great start in '73 in the Texas League and Double A ball. And won eight of my first nine starts, and um, you know, shoot, I, I, I felt great. And I think I'd only walked like four guys in in, in all my starts, and um, and and finally, with and, and the great story I'll give you the, the inside scoop is in '73 is also when the Padres drafted Dave Winfield, and they want to sign him as their number one pick. So what they did is they had to sell Freddie Norman, one of their starting pitchers for the Cincinnati Reds, to generate the money, you know, to sign Winfield. So when they traded Freddie Norman, well, that left the void in the, in the rotation for our left-hander. And I was 8-1 and one at the time, probably throwing the, the baseball better than anybody else in the minor leagues. And Don Zimmer, our manager at the time, he called me up and gave me a chance. That's how I got to the big leagues. So in '74, it's your full, first full season, and this is what this is what <laughs> stood out to me. I'm thinking, Randy, okay, he's a 24, 25 year old young man, and he's already getting old man awards. So '74 is your first full season. You go eight and 22. '75, you come back, you win 20 games, you have a 2.24 ERA. And at the at the ripe old age of twenty four or twenty five, you're always you're already getting a comeback player of the year award. What do you think about yeah. that? Well, that was insane, but 
I mean, when you go eight and twenty-two and you get shut out thirteen times over the course of nineteen seventy-four, you know, and then you turn around and you come back and you win twenty games, complete eighteen, win the ERA title for the National League. I mean, you got to be the comeback player of the year. <laughs> it's right? awesome. They, they, they didn't have a choice, but they had to pick me. <laughs> <laughs> There's not too many people, though, Randy, in their second big league full year get the comeback player already. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it was pretty amazing. What an amazing year. And uh, I mean, I just can't say enough, but I, 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 I've done a lot of improvements in myself, my stamina. Uh, my endurance, um, but you, you mentioned something a little bit earlier about, you know, saving your pitches and, and having, having some bullets left in the, late in the game for the ninth inning. Uh, I got to a point where I, I embraced seeing that line at the third and fourth time. I really embraced that. I absolutely adored and loved doing that. Like many starters in, I guess, that era, but, um, I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed it. That part of the game, I just you know, the best thing in the world is get the last out of the ninth inning, Brett, and start shaking hands with your teammates. That was just unbelievable. I love that. In '75, you're an all-star, and we get to the '76 season. Obviously, your best season. You win the the National League Cy Young Award, 22 and 14. Uh, you're the starter in the All-Star game that year. That had to be really cool. And, oh, it, was, uh, it was it was the best. Yeah. Bicentennial year of our country, 200 years, we're in Philadelphia. Uh, i never forget it. It was just, uh, and what an honor to represent, you know, San Diego and, you know, as a starting pitcher and, you know, and right there, I, I was very, very proud of that. I'll tell you what's cool, too. In 75, you you got the save in the All-Star game. You talk about walking off the mound in that ninth inning. You got the save in the 75 All-Star game, and you're starting the 76. You got those balls? Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah, they're in my in my office, and I, uh, you know, I I kind of keep them displayed in reminders. I I also have, you know, I mentioned that Pee Wee League champs, nineteen fifty seven, Brett. Um, you know, the trophy's only like four inches tall, but I, I I do have that sitting there, and and right next to it, I have the nineteen seventy six National League Cy Young Award, and so that was my I got the first trophy in my last. As far as that. And I, I've got the baseballs from both of those all-star games. So I don't, what's, what's great for me is, is I love when I have, uh, you know, players from your generation on and, and those seventies uh, major league baseball in the seventies. Uh, it's a different, different landscape than it is today. There were a lot less teams. You had the national league West national league East. There were only six in each division. Uh, but those were my childhood years you know I, I was you know I was born in 1969 so those years when my dad was in Philly you were in San Diego man right. I, I have the fondest memories of, of those years and and my brothers too you know that's what we think about that's our childhood is, is growing up in that generation that that part of baseball and I'll never forget it I want to I want to talk a little bit about you know, you were in the uh, National League West. We had the Dodgers, the Giants, Reds, Braves, Astros, and yourself. Uh, with the Dodgers, you had Lasorda. You know, you had that, that famous infield with Russell Garvey Lopes and say you had the big red machine in your division. Just talk to me a little bit about 70s and, and what, a, what a decade that was for baseball. 
the, the crazy well, uniforms. Yeah. See, yeah, it, it, it got pretty colorful. Like when we played, you know, the Astros and the Astrodome and the Padres and our, our yellow, you know, banana outfits. And, you know, it got pretty colorful, no doubt. But, you know, I got, I've said many times, but I, w- I wouldn't trade my hair for, for anything. I thought we had great, great competition. We had great ball players in the 70s, great pitching. They said the really solid lineups and great hitters. And, and we, we competed hard, you know. And Pottery's really not going anywhere, but I, I had a high degree of success against, you know, a lot of the, like the mid-range machine and even even the Dodgers and, and, and that infield and that lineup. Uh, even, even the Phillies, you know, I used to drive your dad crazy when I could, you know, and take an opportunity the way I pitched. And, you know, and overall, it was just, it was just a great brand of baseball. I mean, I, I'd go on a road trip and I'd have to face Tom Seaver in one start, then Steve Carlton the next start, and then Nolan Ryan the next one in Houston in the Dome. I mean, you know, trips like that, and, um, the competition was unreal. I, I just thoroughly enjoyed that era of baseball and, and how it played out. And, and, and just like you growing up in that era, uh, think about all the great, great players that you got to meet, the opportunity to meet. And I was the same way. I mean, I'm not even start with the first time I met Colfax and Drysdale at the 75 All-Star game. And how excited I was to really finally get the opportunity to sit down and have breakfast with, you know, those two and Yogi Berra. And I'll never forget it. Uh, and it went on from there, all the great players that I I got to meet, talk with, become friends with. Um, those are memories that... Um, you, you you can't give me a, a monetary contract. It's worth more than those memories. Yeah, it is. It's very cool. And and as as a former player, it was always interesting and 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 cool in a way when when a player that I grew up watching as a kid now all of a sudden was in the clubhouse and he could be there for whatever reason. You know, he could be there with a representative from from the other team who was in town. But to get to sit down and talk to some of your the guys you looked up to as a kid, it's pretty, that's, that's what makes baseball baseball. And, you know, I talking, you know, further about those seventies years, we had Dave Parker on the program recently and he was talking about, he was talking about those uniforms, just like the Padres. You said you were colorful, the Astros, the pirates, you know, the, we are family days. Uh, That's what I remember. The big bad buckos coming to town. I told Dave, I said, Dave, you guys were mean, man. I remember, you know, it was Bly Levin coming into town. They were always hitting our guys and, you know, dad being with Philly. But, uh, you know, he was telling me what his favorite, you know, color scheme was because, you know, the Pirates, they were kind of the king of the uniforms. They had 10 or 15. But, uh, man, it, for me, it, it always will be the golden age. Tell me about your uh, – Tell you got some famous baseball cards. You got the fro working – What's behind yeah. your cards, Randy? I, will you, will you tell my favorite cards? Your favorite baseball cards with the afro. Oh yeah, oh it's it, 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 having the fro and having the fro and a lot of the baseball cards. Yeah, you know, I'm not wearing a hat or or I am, but you know, you got the big hair. And, um, yeah, it was it was just. I mean, I I, I love them all. I, I think I ended up with well, I don't know 19 cards or 20. Baseball cards before I got done, but um, I just I think it's classic and and you know like the the very first one you know you 
We all dream about that, Brad, when you first see your very first, you know, baseball card from Tops, you know. And I just remember, because I, I remember I put down there, like, I put six foot, you know, 175, and I was probably like 5'10", 160. But I lied, you know. I thought I just looked better on the bubblegum card. I still laugh at it. That's right. That's our that's our canvas. We can put whatever we want on there. <laughs> that's right. You know, um, and, I, and I think the great thing is, you know, and, uh, maybe a lot, might be a lot of guys, today's players, I'm not sure. You know, I always I always appreciate the fans and everything, and and I still enter an awful lot of awful lot of fan mail. Get those old cards in there. I don't I don't know how in the world some of these young kids find those cards. They're 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 25 years older than they are, man. Yeah, and your t- in your time that was that was kind of a big time for for collectibles. My era, you know, I came in in the early 90s uh, through the early 2000s. At that point. You mentioned you probably got 20 baseball cards. Well, our generation, that's all they did is print cards, you know, too many cards. So, right. so our, our cards aren't worth anything. I think they're getting back to being really limited with what they release now. So I, I think they're trying to go back to your generation and, and before your generation as far as making the baseball cards something special, not just, you know, printing 10 every week. Yeah, no, and, I, and I agree. And, um, you know, and the, and the popularity of the, of, of the cards and the kids and, and the game itself, you know, you were going, we're going through a transition right now, I think, in baseball. And, um, you know, and I, I think everything is going to evolve back around. It's just like, I think, you know, the power arm is just, is, is now today, but also that you mentioned like Jamie Moyer, myself, or a Maddox or a Glavin. Um, there's plenty of room for the, those type of pictures. And I think we're going to see them again. They're going to get, you know, involved back in that five-man rotation. And I'm looking forward to those days. I think it's going to be really intriguing how some of these guys, it's it's kind of like the shift and everything else is big right now. You know, and, you know, Brett, that, that shift would not have worked for me the way I pitched. You know, I would just, I didn't tell the manager, hey, you got to leave everybody where they're at. I don't know how to, I don't know how to pitch. You start moving guys around. You're going to leave them where they were at. I mean, that's the only way I know how to do it. And so, and I think you're going to see some changes there. You know, and we're not done yet with changes, but some of that old-time baseball, that the lures that we remember in the 70s and 80s, we're going to see a little bit more of that, I think, as, as, as we go move forward. I really do. And I, I want to get your take, this, this sticky thing going on in baseball right now. Had Vita Blue on last week. And he started laughing when I brought up the sticky. We, we were talking about, you know, how they're checking for it. And after the first inning, we're going to randomly check you. When you, you know, I, I don't know. My opinion is it's all theater right now. It's 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 non-baseball people making baseball decisions about the rules. And, and I think it's more theater. And and it was more of we got to clean this up. How do we do it? Uh, make them check in between innings when really. To guys like me that watch this, and baseball's been my whole life, it, it's kind of an embarrassment to the game to see to see what's going on. I don't think the umpires, they don't want to do it. Uh, nope. but, but the camera's got to cover it. And uh, But Vita, I was laughing. I said, Vita, I know you guys have been doing this since the beginning of time. If I can get you, I'm going to get you. 
but but um and he said to me he said booney he started laughing he goes if he ain't cheating he ain't trying and that's kind of the thing in baseball you know f- for instance a position player if randy jones is on the hill i'm at second base and i'm relaying signs to my hitter well that's kind of a a game inside the game where we police ourselves now as long as i don't get caught there's going to be no repercussions but I know if you step off the back of the mound and catch me relaying signs, there's going to be a price that's got to be paid to me. And I know that going in. So eventually I'm going to wear one in the ribs. And that's an eye for an eye mentality that has always been in the game of baseball. What do you think? What, what is your opinion on, on that? The sticky going on right now? Well, uh, you know, I never want to should just left it alone. And it's been around forever and not everybody does it. Certain guys, you know, uh, it does help them. And see, my personally, I tried it one one game in St. Louis, and I tried to throw the first slider. I tried to throw that sixty stuff. I threw it about forty feet. You know, the ball stuck in my hand. I, I couldn't get that stuff off my finger fast enough. I mean, I, I I couldn't use it. It didn't help me. You know, but a lot of guys they just need that. They sweat a lot, a lot of moisture on their fingers, and you know, and, and I understand it. Um, but today is, once again, you got to use a little bit of discretion. I mean, I, you can remember back in the 70s and even 80s and guys stuffing the ball and so to move a little bit more, all kinds of little little tricks. I mean, you got to remember about Gaylord Perry was a teammate of mine in 78 and 79. He won the Cy Young for the Potteries in 78. You know, and he had a tendency of, you know, maybe putting a little you know, saliva or Vaseline on the ball here and there. You know, it was always intriguing, but it just kind of goes back to if you're not cheating, you're not trying, and, and that whole thing, I just think it was a makeup of the game. You know, but you, you, you can't run around, you know, putting pine tar all over your glove, and, you know, just like I, I found but today, the young man that did get caught using a foreign substance, they suspended him 10 games, and, you know, for heaven's sakes, you know, now it's blown out of proportion. But you know, I think overall, it's just you got to use a little discretion if you want to cheat. And I, <laughs> I'm not sure. Some of these kids today, they don't know what that means. And I think you bring up a great point. You know, it, for, for Randy Jones, it wasn't good. You said, man, I, no. I, I, I threw that 40, 40 foot slider. And now get this off my hands. I need the feel back. It, that's almost like batting gloves, no batting gloves. And Exactly. And you talk about the scuff ball. It's one thing to get a scuff ball. It's another thing of knowing what to do with it. And not everybody right. knows what to do with it. Just if, you know, Gaylord Perry, if he gave you the stuff he used for his ball, doesn't mean Randy Jones, it would be beneficial to him to use it. I used to shoot at second base. If I knew a certain pitcher was in the game, I'd try to let that ball bounce on on that throwdown in between innings because I can get a scuff on the ball, and I know this pitcher on the mound likes the scuff. Now, That's right. when, he, when he's on another team, I, I'm going to be watching him always because I know what he did when we were teammates. I'm not going to go to the <laughs> press and tell people, but I'm going to make my teammates aware to always check the ball because I know what he's up to. And that's kind of our game, and that's how we ran it. And, and I, would like right. to see, I would like to see the game get back to that. Oh, I, w- I, I would too. And, and- and make no mistake, after after two years of Gaylord Perry, you don't think I didn't have a good spitball? I did, <laughs> but, you know. That's right. But, but you want to talk about something really obvious when I threw it. 
I mean, it was, I mean, it was, it was pretty obvious. So I had to use a little discretion if I, if I pulled it out, but I can remember throwing Mike Schmidt, a few of them in, in certain guys just to get in their head. Um, and it sure was a lot of fun, but I, I can remember Doug Harvey standing up looking at me pretty hard because he knew dang good and well what it was. So, you know, I, I had to use a little discretion, but I, I would do one thing right now, Brett, too, if you're going to watch games from now moving forward. Let's, let's talk about the rest of this season. If you see a pitcher, a starting pitcher especially, uh, that's just going to that rosin bag, you know, I mean, a lot. I got a funny feeling he might have been using pine tar or something, you know, because he's having trouble gripping the baseball. And, um, and I'm, I, so I'm going to be watching that here very closely for the next month. I want to see what pitchers are going to that rosin bag, just beating it up, you know, trying to get some stickiness to their, to their fingers. It's going to be interesting. All right, we're going to stick with the 70s theme. I'm going to do a little rapid fire with you. Just I'm going to, I'm going to name eight hitters, and I kind of want you to just whatever comes to mind. Steve Garvey. Now, one of my toughest outs, uh, and for me, like you read my mind, he had good plate discipline, you know, and, um, you know, in, in his selection, he squared up a lot of baseballs. And um, he, was, he was just always a tough out for me. And I used to play a game with him where, all right, you're going to hit 300. You're going to get your hits. But with guys in the scoring position, it's got to be my turn. So I played a little middle game with, with Garvey. And I'll never forget, I had two guys on a 5-3 lead in 75. I'm going for my 20th win at the end of that season. And um, against the Dodgers, two outs, 5-3. to three, You know, two guys on and Garvey comes up. And I go, well, all I could say is I said, I'm going to throw him a sinker ball on I just hope he hits it at, his, at somebody. And sure enough, I threw him a sinker ball, and he had a line drive to Dave Winfield in right field for the last out of the game. And I thought that was just justice because, you know, I wouldn't get him out that often. So that was very appropriate. When he would, but he just hit a bullet to Dave Winfield for, for, for me to get my 20th win. The bull, Greg Luzinski. Well, the poor bull. You know, I, the story is... <laughs> I'm so sorry for the bull. I mean, in 1976, when I won the Cy Young, I think I I shut the Phillies out three times that year. And the bull, the bull always seemed to come up with nobody out or one out to die on first base. And I I throw him that little sinker ball, and I throw it about 75 or 73 miles an hour, and I get him on his front foot. And he hit the prettiest ground ball to short every single time for a double play. You know, and I'll never forget one game. He already hit into one double play. And he came back up in the seventh and sure as hell, there's one out of the for first base. And I looked up at Lezinski and I started smiling at him. And I, Brad, I want you to know I had him cussing at me and I hadn't thrown him a pitch yet. He knew what I knew he was going to hit a ground ball. And sure enough, <laughs> he did, you know. And it's just uh, it's one of those scenarios. But, you know, I just, um, you know, like you say, facing him and, and respecting all these guys, what you had to do. There was a lot of power in a lot of these lineups. And, and you couldn't afford to hang anything or make mistakes up. It just, it, you weren't going to succeed, in, in, you know, in that scenario. And uh, it, it was just great every single time. Pete Rose. Pete Rose, one of my easiest outs, Brett. Um, we got into who's hit early in his career. 
And I, I, I drove that guy crazy. He was, I mean, there was sometimes I would, I would get him two and zero on purpose because he just knew he had me right where you know he wanted me, and he was so wrong. I mean, and nobody can wait on a seventy-three mile an hour sinker ball on the outside corner. You can't do it, son. You know, and he'd roll over and hit a ground ball. Um, and even the I remember one Sunday game, he actually he couldn't hit me right-handed, so he tried left-handed. Um, he came up and hit left-handed against me. And I struck him out on three sliders on the outside corner. He never even moved his bat. So, you know, that didn't work out too well for him. But, you know, you, one, one thing I respected every time I faced him, remember our division, so I faced him like five times a year. You know, I never discounted Pete Rose and respected him a lot. I mean, I got him out a lot, but he was a catalyst for that, that big red machine, I'll tell you that. Mike Schmidt. Mike Schmidt, yeah, just to, to make things try to keep the ball in the ballpark when you talk about Schmidt. His power, and, you know, I could talk him into trying to hit that sinker ball maybe the other way or get a base hit. I loved him. I thanked him. You know, um, I, I mean, I'll go back, I'll go back to when my career started, Brett. A lot of people don't realize this, but, uh, my first, my first appearances against the Mets in 73, a relief stand in the, my first big league hit I ever gave up was a home run to Willie Mays. He took me deep. And uh, five days later, uh, I got my first start in the big league to get the Atlanta Braves back in San Diego. Hank Aaron took me deep in the first inning. I mean, I'd only given up two hits in my career. It was a home run to Mays and a home run to Aaron. You know, absolutely incredible. But, you know, Mike Smith, one of those guys, you know, I, I I just can't remember Mike Schmidt. They make a lot of mistakes to him, but I don't remember him make, you know, missing a mistake. Let me put it that way. I don't remember him missing a mistake that I made. Tony Perez. Tony Perez, an RBI machine. Um, you know, just a, a consistent guy in, in what he made. You know, how many sacrifice flies did that man hit? And, and well aware of what he had, his tendencies. Um, yeah, in that whole lineup of Joe Morgan, Concepcion, and Kirby Jr., get just a senior. I mean, but you know, overall, it was just a matter of what the situation was. And remember, in the old days when we pitched, you know, you, you got a scouting report on on guys. We had our own. We didn't have a book or anything like that. It was in our head. But you had to make adjustments every single bat. I mean, it, you might change that sequence. You know, right in the middle of an at bat, depending on what Tony Perez did, what you might think he's looking for. And it always seemed like that was a game that I had to play with Tony Perez to try to get him out and get that ground ball that I needed. Game inside the game. Dusty Baker. That's just solid. You know, good, you know, you know, had two guys in, in, in the National League. I think Dusty Baker, number one, is a right handed hitter. He kept his hands back really, really well with me. He's really patient. And that made me nervous when you're a, when you pitch the contact, you're a ground ball pitcher. You don't like guys to keep their hands back real well. So try to get him on his front foot and get those hands to move a little bit. And Dusty was really patient, you know, sitting back there. And he and he and he, and he took he kinda of took what I gave him. He take that ground ball base hit here and there and take advantage of a mistake. And on the left-handed side, it was Al Oliver with the, with the Pirates. Never seen a left-handed hitter keep his hands back and be patient, just like Al was with that quick bat. 
those two guys were two key guys keeping their hands back right there. I was very, very careful with both of those guys. Last but not least, Johnny Bench. Nah, JB was tough. You know, the one thing JB would do earlier in my career against him in, in the 70s, um, that he beat me one game in the eighth inning. I tried to get a slider in on his hands. He forward, got the head out, hit a two-run homer, and I lost two to one. Never forgot that. And, and what's funny is I think for the next three years, Johnny Bench sat on that slider, Brad. He kept waiting for it. I wouldn't throw it to him. I kept throwing sinker balls away and curveballs. I would not throw another slider inside the um that's four he was still waiting for it. And um you know, overall so I had some success. And then later on, uh in the end of my career, I think it was in the eighty, you know, I ended up giving up three home runs in one game to him. You know. And I told him they were pretty good pitches. I said, you know, I and they asked me, and I said, well, he's a little bit older. His bat slowed down. That's why he's catching up with me now. So I couldn't take enough off. You know, but he's just a great competitor. Once again, like you talked about, he was my catcher in the All-Star game in 76. You know, and what honor that was, too. As a teammate, I, I thoroughly enjoyed pitching to him and just had a great time, great memories. I'll tell you, and this is awesome. This talk right here, and, and it's this is what I used to love as a hitter because you said, as a pitcher, you would look for tendencies. You'd look to see if you could catch what I was looking for, whether that's reading body language, how I reacted to a pitch. Uh, right. I had a few guys that would do that to me, and and you know, Pedro would read my body language. Maddox would read my body language. And if I caught them reading me, man, now the game goes to a different level. It's the same thing with catchers. Catchers could read my body language. Uh, I had certain guys, Jason Baratek, when he was back there, he'd kind of give me that look like, hey, Booney, uh, you, ain't, you obviously aren't looking for a fastball here. Now that cat and mouse game begins. I mean, I could talk about this forever, just the game inside the game and – Man, that in, in my day, that's what made the elite hitters elite. The game, the guys that would play that game all the way through, and oh. it's really cool to hear you talk about. It. Well, and that, that's why it was so special, especially like that four times in the lineup. You know, Brad is it, and, and how 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 special that was. I mean, you've already been through it three and made adjustments, and here you come up, and you're, and you're looking at that hitter going, "All right, what are we going to do now?" And there'd be certain times where all of a sudden I, I throw a pretty good sinker ball on the outside part of the plate. You have a right hand, he fouled straight back. Like an 0-0 counter, 0-1, 1-0, and, and he fouled straight back up against the screen. So I looked at him and I go, ah, okay. So and I, and it, he was dead on it. I went, all right, you won't see that again. This so sort of the slider curveball, take a little bit more off and move to a different location. And I would immediately. And in, in those old days, we had that ability. You know, I think one of the great things I love is pitching 318 innings in 1976. In those 318 innings, I only struck out 92 guys. Right? You know, and the more I thought about that, those 92 guys, I'll guarantee you 50 of those with the other, the opposing pitcher. So I really only struck out like 42 real hitters that entire season. You know, and I just think, you know, that's, and, and that just speaks to what I talk about, pitching the contact, utilizing your infield. Um, so 
now. You like I say at it. I give anything to have the infield of Padres have right now and be on the mound, right? I think that might be a lot of fun. Yep. So with the Padres, seventy-eight, you had a two-two-eight eighty ERA, another great season. After the eighty season, you're traded to the Mets. I couldn't imagine uh, a different atmosphere than going from San Diego and the Padres to the Big Apple. How was that transition for you? And you, and, and you signed with the Padres in 72. So you come into the organization, you're, you're with them for essentially a decade. Uh, how, was that, how was that for you when you heard that news? Well, you know, I, it, it was tough. Uh, but it was a time of my career. I, I had arm damage. I uh, was having arm problems. Um, and I just felt that, you know, at that time, Frank Kastner was a match and, uh, they they wanted to you know, take a shot at you know maybe I could I make a comeback and and do something and and I respected that and you know I saw it as a challenge I I mean I love New York and going back there I love the fans I just thought it was great you know myself I mean it's a, the root of baseball and and it's the real deal in New York I have no disappointments in that I was you know if I had one disappointment my two years in New York is is my, my arms, it never responded. I had arm problems both years, and that, that snapping that nerve in my elbow. And um, that was the frustrating part. I never really got an opportunity to, to really get involved with the fans because uh, I, I, I just honestly was never healthy enough in my two seasons there. And, and, it, and, it, and it turned out I ended up retiring right after that. You know, I was just, you know, I had to come to the realization I was out of bullets, man. I, you know, I, I, I couldn't pitch. You know, the brain, the heart was still there. The legs were still there. But the arm wasn't. I, I, just, I just, I ran out of pitch. Bad. And that was the deal. One part I didn't like. I mean, I, I, I remember that there was one week early in the 81 season. I was player of the week. I, I threw two shutouts. I had uh, two complete games. Um, got back to New York. My very next start in the fourth inning, you know, I went one slider, and I, I felt I felt that rubber band go off in my arm, and I knew I'd snap that nerve again. Um, and honestly, that was the last time I snapped it. That was it. Um, and I just remember how disappointed I was in that. You know, once again, there's there's a lot of things you remember about a career, but you know, unfortunately, that's, that's what I can't get out of my mind either. Retire after the '81 season. Been involved with the Padres a long time. One story I want to hear, and and you know where I'm going with this, but I I talked to Dad yesterday, and I told him I said uh, we're having Randy on the show, and oh, he's he wanted to jump in and tell some stories, and yeah. we all know you went on that El Salto trip uh, years ago with with my son Jacob, with uh, my dad, and I believe was Aaron there with you too. Yeah, Aaron was there as well. Yeah. The three of us. We had, we had uh, all right. I want so, you to give me your version, then I'll give you Dad's version. <laughs> well, I mean, I remember the first show was with Aaron, more or less. You know, and I, I did two shows down there at El Salto. One with Aaron and, and one with your dad. And I, I just remember that um, we started, I started the show with your dad. Um, you know, and it was great. I mean, we're just, we're just trading war stories left and right. And, and we were catching bass left and right. You know, and I, I just I remember having a great time telling a little war stories and talking to your dad about the grand old game. You know, 
And finally, I think he got irritated at me because I kept bugging him and he's trying to catch fish, you know. And I, I just cracked up at your dad. It was, it was just so much fun. And watching your son, you know, catch bass like he was doing it. I mean, that was a pretty special trip. And that was a great week. You know, I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah, Dad said that he said it was amazing. He said we were catching so many fish. He said Randy and myself were just we're just telling stories. And he said, and they got the whole thing filmed in like thirty minutes. We were catching fish. They had the stories all, and then and then Randy brought my son Jacob into the boat, and uh, he he said and Jake was just going at it like he'd been fishing his whole life. And and Jake is a fisherman. He loves to fish, but he tells that story and. And the coolest thing was, uh, I think you got an award for that show or something. You got some, uh, yeah, some accolade for the best fishing show of the year. And Dad said that one of the coolest things he received a letter from you uh, saying, "Hey, uh-huh. we won fishing show of the year," and and really had some nice things to say. How much fun you had, and and you said Jacob Boone was the star of the show. He was too, man. He, he did a good. We got him on the boat. I'll never forget it. You know, he he jumped right in there, man. He was catching fish, you know. And you know, it, and Brett, what was fun for me is a, a, a proud grandpa like that. You know, knowing your dad as well as I do, um, I felt really good about that whole scenario. And yeah, I did. I want to tell the award getter for that show, the best best fishing show on the Outdoor Channel that year. Um, it, it was just a special time, a special moment. You know, and he, your dad was right. We actually, you know, I had to go back and actually throw to break a couple of times and stage it, set it up, because we we got enough footage for the show in the first thirty minutes. We caught like thirty fish apiece, and you know, and told every story I think that we knew in thirty minutes. And in my voice filmed every bit of it. And I I had to go back and kind of segment it out to do the show. It was it was phenomenal. It was so much fun. And I brought up Bull uh, Greg Luzinski earlier because, all right, I want to talk about the barbecue. We got Boog Powell. I think he was the original with the barbecue. Then we had Randy Jones. And now Bull Greg Luzinski's got one in Philly. I don't know if you've tried the others. Who's got the best barbecue? Well, uh, I I always leaned on mine a little bit of Texas sweet barbecue sauce. And I had to start there, you know. Uh, Boog's okay, a little bit more of that Eastern, you know, uh, style kind of taste on that barbecue. And, and the bull, the, the bull's a bull, man. If you want to argue with him, which I won't, and I and I have done that. But I just remember I was like two years after Boog started his in Baltimore. Uh, I did fine for twenty. Well, I'm still at the ballpark now. I had to adjust my menu a little bit at Petco, but. I mean, I did that barbecue for 27 years at the ballpark, and and Boot jumped in, and um, I always, what I really wanted to do one year, um, I kept telling uh, Major League Baseball what we should do is we should have a a barbecue contest, you know, at the All-Star game, let the fans decide which one of us has the best barbecue. You know, take us all there, let everybody do the taste test and vote. And see who wins. And of course, I had I had and I had whoever wins gets a brand new Ford truck or something like that. Of course, you know me. You know I want to go fish the hunt. I don't want to either truck. But 
you know, and I, they both thought it was a great idea, but they kept wanting me to put all that together. And I went, I didn't see I wanted to do that, man. I, I suppose it was a great <laughs> it's too idea. much time. <laughs> well, exactly. But, you know, I, you know what? I, the one thing I've always enjoyed is what Boog did in Baltimore, what Greg Luzinski does in Philadelphia, and what I did in San Diego is it put us out right in front of all of our fans, all the fans that we've known and watched us play. They're watching, watching the Padres play the last the last thirty years almost, you know, and how how I enjoyed that. It was a pleasure. It was an honor for me to be out there with the fans and interact with them and talk with them. And and Luzinski said the same thing when I talked to him, and Book said the same thing. You know, you can you can always find your way to hide if you have to get a little better break in the action. But I think all three of us agree that you know. Uh, the great fan base and, and fans that we had when we played, um, yeah, nothing compares to that. I, I think we've all did a good job representing that and appreciating our fans. Okay, I got a good quick story about Bull this year, okay, with the COVID. So Bull, you know, he, he normally goes to his post out you know, in Bulls barbecue and he sits down and, and like you, like you were saying, it's, it's a time for you to, to mix with the fans, talk about, you know, uh, for, in his case, the Phillies and, you know, Luzinski, he's pretty, he's a, he's a pretty big figure in Philadelphia, bigger than life guy. Everybody loves the bull. If you know, Greg right. Luzinski, he's just one of those guys. Like you just want to hang out with him for some reason or something. He's just born that way. But this year I, <laughs> He went out. He went out to the, the the barbecue, and they put him in a COVID-proof booth. So they had him protected with the plexiglass. And they oh said people God. were people were coming up to him, tapping on the glass, thought he was the information guy, asking him for direction. <laughs> where's my Where's my seat at? I love can, it. Can you imagine I, Bull and and his I, answer? <laughs> Oh yeah, I can imagine what that answer is, and we're not going to talk about it. But I—that oh. is beautiful. I didn't hear that story. That is absolutely—that's hilarious, right there. Whoa, it's unbelievable. All right, one more story. Talk to Dad once again. This is this is compliments of Bob Boone. He wants to talk about the Jim Cott, Randy Jones matchup. Said it, it, it lasted about an hour. Randy wins the game one nothing. And my dad right. said he got out of the park so quick he, he was going to have dinner or something. He said it was still light when he came out of the tunnel. Fastest game he's ever seen. He said, ask Randy about that game where he beat Kitty well, Cott. I tell you what, in, uh, yeah, Jim and I hooked up that day in San Diego. And actually the game official was an hour and 27 minutes. That's how long the game took. I beat him one to nothing. Um, I think there, I, there might have been one walk. I don't know where it was, but. You know, he worked quick. I did. I didn't mess around either. We were in and out. It, it was hilarious. And, and again, it was daylight when we got done. That's what was incredible. Um, I, funny thing about that, I think I threw, Brent, I threw 75 pitches in that nine-inning game, you know, when I when I beat him. Um, and I, I'm not sure how many he threw, but, you know, he, you know, he was a strike thrower. But um, it turned out that, Anyway, when the game got done, like you say, your dad got to go home. The sun was still out. And um, your dad, Jim Cott, was going to a, a, a concert, a music concert over at San Diego State. You know, and he got there plenty early. You know, he got there an hour before the, even the concert started. It's just hilarious. But, you know, the, uh, probably the quickest game I know in Potter history was that game. You know, and, uh, 
The only other game I remember was, I remember I beat the Pirates. Uh, I beat them three to nothing. I went nine innings at San Diego, and I, I, I beat them an hour, an hour and 32 minutes. Um, and I threw 68 pitches in the game. The play game was 68 pitches. That absolutely incredible. Wow. That that is unbelievable. Dad was saying yep. too. He said he said during that game, you know, when the catcher ground ball catcher backs up first. He said right. by the t- by the time he got back, you know, catching his breath from backing up first, he said Cot's looking for he's looking for a for a finger. He's looking for the next sign. He goes, I've never been, you know, in, in any game to that point in his career. He said, I've never seen anything like it. He said, but Randy would get a kick out of it. Um, um, yeah. I mean, it, was, it, was, it was phenomenal. It was just so much fun. You know. You do a lot of charity work, always have. Uh, military, yeah. local community. Tell me a little bit about or tell the Boone podcast what you're involved with. Well, you know, I, I, I started, you know, still doing a lot of charity golf tournaments and stuff and trying to help a lot of the local charities in that, that form. But also I started the Randy Jones Foundation here in San Diego where um, I just, I, I'm just trying to help out and make an impact with military families and kids that want to get involved in athletics and sports. I I, I realized that they, you know, a lot of these military families, they can't afford to play travel ball, Brad. Or they can't afford to go to soccer camps and, and volleyball camps and things. And so I made a commitment. And right now I've got 19 kids. I give $5,000 scholarships, you know, to them while they're in high school, you know, to improve their their game, whatever it might be. I don't I don't care. I've got, I mean, I've got ladies. I've been playing softball. I've got them, you know, competing in horse horse competitions and everything. And, and we're just trying to make a difference for a lot of these military kids and, and give, give them a, play, a, a fair playing field, you know, in, in high school athletics. And, and hopefully this will lead to, you know, them give you getting a, that scholarship that they need to go to college and move on you know, for their education. But, you know, you know, also I'm old school where you got to have good grades. you got to be a good student, you know, no troublemakers, you know, and, and I check on my my kids every every single year. I'm always checking up on them, and and we've been able to do that. And, and as we grow and get get bigger, I'm, I want to help more kids, more families, and um, you know, it brings a smile to my face to see the difference that it makes for a lot of these kids. San Diego Hall of Fame. I know you're also involved with them. You're you've been inducted into that Hall of Fame, and Dad's in that Hall of Fame, and Grandpa Ray. Tell me about the That's work right. over the years you've done with the with the baseball hall. Of oh, Fame. yeah, no, no doubt. You know, around here in the Breitbart Hall of Fame that we have here in San Diego, where yeah, your, your grandpa and Ray, and many times that I I saw him there and Bob as well being inducted in that, and recognizing some of the fine athletics and, and people, good people that we've had in, in professional sports in San Diego. It's a great reflection of that. In fact, that Brightport Hall of Fame now is on display right there at Petco Park. That's the ballpark is where it's at. And couldn't be prouder of that. and Couldn't be prouder to be associated with with, with Ray and Bob and and that. And and what what they meant for sports in San Diego, it's it's pretty important. A lot of people haven't forgotten it. It's it's, it's a great, great thing, Brett, that, that this happened here in San Diego. 1997, a big year for you. You know, a lot of players, 
uh, are in the Hall of Fame for their perspective teams, uh, their respective teams. Very few get their number retired. 1997, they retire your number. What's it like when you get that phone call? I, 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 would, I just couldn't have been more proud of being able to represent, you know, the San Diego Padres. And even after my playing career, I talked about a breath when I, I started doing radio, PR work, and, and doing the barbecue at the ballpark with all the fans and, um, and everything that I was doing. And when you get that call, then, you know, they decided they were going to retire my number. Um, I mean, probably the greatest compliment you can give a ball player uh, to be able to represent your, the organization you grew up with, where most of your career was. Um, and I, I, I deeply appreciated that, and, and I still do it to this day. It's still pretty special, and, and, I, and I'm still down there every home game, you know, running into the same fans and, and you know a lot of young ones. I think it's cute right now. And I think Luzinski could probably even tell you this. That a lot of these younger kids now, I'm, I remember their dad was, you know, I, I was, their dad was watching me pitch when they were, you know, now they're kids' age. And he'd ask him, he goes, do you know who Randy Jones is? And they look at me and go, yeah, he's the barbecue guy. <laughs> they don't even know that I pitched, man. All they know is I do barbecue. I love it. I think it's great. <laughs> uh San Diego's been a pretty unbelievable place for you. I know a few years back you had a bout with cancer, uh, and and the people of San Diego really rallied around you. Yes, it, it certainly did. It was unbelievable. It's been three years now. I'm cancer free, and I had throat cancer. Um, still, you know, still battling some of the repercussions of of the treatments. Uh, it's just nature of the business, but. Um, you know, the, the day where uh, once once kind of the word got out that I was I was battling throat cancer, I was I, I I just couldn't believe the support that I got from everybody in San Diego and in, in, in the pottery community. It was just unbelievable. It really was, Brad. Um, I mean, they just took me to my knees a few times and with emotion. To have, to have that much support from everybody, I just didn't realize it. Or, really ever think about it um, and, and until it just happened. Uh, and, I, uh, and I just can't say enough how much, you know, um, their strength helped me get through a lot of those ordeals. And um, there were some trying times for a lot of months and all the treatments, but, you know, got through it. And I'm just so tickled that to be down at the ballpark and having the opportunity to say hi to a lot of those supporting fans that supported me through that ordeal. When it's all said and done, Randy Jones, what do you want to be remembered for? You know, I, you know what, being a good baseball player, and um, and yet you just uh, you appreciated everybody that loved the game of baseball. And uh, there's so many out there that, you know, Brad, I've always said I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones. I got, I chased my dream and I got it. I achieved, I played professional sports, had some success. And I've been able to share that in the last, you know, 25, 30 years with a lot of fans. And I'm special. And I'm grateful that I've had that opportunity, my friend. 2021, Padres are rocking. I'll tell you, I'm paying attention. I haven't seen, I haven't seen that sort of excitement, that sort of passion from a Padres team in a long time. 
What do you think? What are you seeing on a daily basis? We are we in agreement there? I'm in hundred percent agreement. A lot of opportunities. The commitment is just really, really good. I'm telling you right now and I'm uh, I'm excited about the future of you know, pottery baseball and right now what I'm seeing and from ownership all the way through. Um, this, this could be a year, Brett. Let's keep keep an eye on them. Randy Jones, uh, great career, great player, better human being, one of my favorites. I get to, hopefully, I'll get to come down to the ballpark this year. We'll spend a little time. We usually do it on on a yearly basis. I missed you last year because of the COVID, but we'll catch right. up. And what we do at at the end of each and every Boone podcast is we bring the voice of the podcast, Dan Levy back to ask a question from the fans. Dano? Alright, guys. How are you? Hey, Dano. Alright, buddy. This one goes from John in South Dakota. And he wants to know, who is the toughest hitter you've ever faced, and who is the best hitter that hated facing you? Oh, I'll work backwards the conversation. I know P. Rose hated facing me. You know, I uh, just, you know, poor guy, just, I wore him out. It was, you know, what a switch dinner. As he, he comes up with that left handed, you know, you know, you might have his number. He's trying to figure out some way to get on base. Um, toughest hitter, you know, overall, like I mentioned, Steve Garvey is probably my toughest out in baseball. Um, he, he was my toughest out, but who scared me more was, you know, Richie Allen with the Phillies. Um, that will swing a bat. He made me nervous. If somebody got my attention, it had to be Dick Allen. All right, Mr. Randy Jones, thank you so much for coming on the Brett Boom Podcast. We appreciate it. Hey, I enjoy it, guys. You know, great stuff. And thanks for having me on. Mailbag. All right, Boone, you know what time it is? It's mailbag time, Dan. And this one comes from Jeff in Kansas City, and he wants to know this. Brett, what is harder to hit? A great change up or a 102 mile an hour fastball? Uh, depends. Oh, man. 102. That's that's pretty big. That's that's pretty high velocity. I'm going to say it's a tie. Really? And when we say when we say great changeup, we've got to we've got to decide what a great changeup. Uh, a Trevor Hoffman changeup. That's great. A uh, hundred. Um, uh, a Chapman 102 mile an hour fastball located. I'd say equally difficult. All right, back in we go. This one comes from Fred and Austin. Brett, did you keep any of your baseball cards, and do you have your dad's or grandpa's? Fred from Austin. Uh, man, we got, you know, I mentioned in the in the podcast we just had with uh, Randy Jones. In my generation, uh, they made too many cards. I mean, it seems like I've got hundreds and hundreds of, of different cards, and they send them all to you. I got boxes of them out in, in my garage that never see the light of day. Uh, I've got it. Yeah, I've got some of Grandpa. I got some of Dad. Uh, but but uh, I, I was never a big card collector. My youngest brother, Matthew, was. So he's got all the cards that are worth something. I, I don't. I just have my 90s and 2000s card. Like I said, they made so many, they're not worth much. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this year, Brett Boone podcast. 
My name is Dan Levy, and I am the technical director and producer of the Boom Podcast. Executive producer is Rich Herrera. Digital content, that gets dealt by Liz Landry. Please share the Boom Podcast with neighbors and friends, and make sure you subscribe to the Boom Podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. And while you're at it, give it a five-star rating and share your feelings of the Boom Podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boom Podcast, my name is Dan Levy. Soon.